following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. There are three different scripture readings, Genesis 25, Genesis 28, and uh, 32. Genesis 25, verses 21 to 23. And Isaiah prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if, this, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Then Genesis 28, verses 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up in the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaiah. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stones that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and pour oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Lutz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and get, will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all, of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. And this takes place 20 years late after the previous reading. That same night, he, that is Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the fort of the Jabba. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip 
was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless him. And he said to them, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall be no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my, light, my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his heat. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. All right, so la last week, I shared uh, the introduction to this series that I'm calling Just Like Us. The idea that as looking, uh, at, looking at the, um, the, some of these various char Bible characters that we're gonna look at over the next several weeks, we're gonna see how much they're just like us so that we could be just like them. And we tried our first question answer time last week. And I had one question, it was from Krista. And she immediately asked about the very character, the first one that we're gonna be looking at. I did mention that we could include Joseph from a few weeks ago in this series. It's the same, I approached his story similarly, similar to the way I'll be approaching these other characters. But Jacob was gonna be the first one of the official series. And uh, so it was interesting that he would be the one that's asked. And I, and, I, and I got it right away that a lot of people see Jacob as an as a un, like undesirable kind of character. Like who would want to actually be like Jacob? Because he's so shifty and deceitful and conniving and, and, th and this sort of thing. And so one of the, one of the things of, about this whole idea of uh, just like us, and I'm not necessarily saying that every one of us is like all of these characters. Far from it. it. During the kids' message, I talked about how, in my understanding, in God's design, he created people with all this diversity. And, of course, we know personality-wise, it's nothing to do with, with sin. Just personality-wise, we're different. We're each given different strengths, different talents, different gifts. We have different weaknesses. Not all weaknesses that we have are, uh, are because of something bad. So some people are more gifted in certain areas of life than other people are. That's the distribution of talents and gifts. And God determined in his will that we were not all going to be good at this, all the same things. So I'm not saying that every one of us should be exactly like Jacob or exactly like Moses or exactly like David. We can't be because we're not Jacob, we're not Moses, we're not David. Each person is wonderfully unique. But what the Bible, what the Bible does, what the Bible does give to us is, uh, what, the, what the Bible gives to us is a, um, a window into the lives of real human beings. 
And that's the, the, the sort of thing I tried to explain last time, that it doesn't gloss over the, the frailties, the errors, the sins of the people that it features. It lets us see them exactly as they are. And because it does that, we're able to deal with ourselves before God exactly as we are. We looked at how in the mythology of, of, um, of history, of, of all through history, some of the stories that people have been drawn to are, whether it's Greek myths or modern day superheroes, we're, we're given, we're told stories about, about people who are not like us. They're not like us in their abilities at all. They're really separate from normal human beings. And then they're pictured very often as very differently from ourselves. And that's, that's something we're seeing today so much through the whole celebrity culture, where we're not given a window into these people's lives. We're given these little excerpts, their highlights. And so then when they really mess up, then they go from almost like godlike uh, status to then, then where they're treated in such a disparaging way. And it's all because we're not seeing these people for who they really are, while the Bible lets us in on their lives truly. And we so we see the blemishes in Jacob. We see his issues. We know in the scripture that and, and we read it every week as part of the confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And one of the things I see in there is basically the word of God, the Holy Spirit, through his word is saying to us, if we are honest about who we really are, what we're made of, how we mess up, if we can be honest about that and stop playing games stop portraying ourselves as someone as we're not, if we are truly authentic in how we live and portray ourselves, then that is living in the light. And that is a place of cleansing. That's a place of where we can actually walk in the righteousness of God. We have to stop pretending. Pretenders are, are cut off from the cleansing power of God. Jacob, in a sense, in the way he's, 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 his story is shared with us, yeah, he's on one hand, he's a pretender, but we get to see his heart. We get to see what God is doing, and, and, and he gets in trouble. He gets in trouble for the things that, that how he goes about life in a wrong sort of way. Let, let me, just for a couple of moments, do a, a brief um, a, a summary of his life. Much of this was read in the in the scripture readings that we, we just heard. Uh, so first of all, he was the grandson of Abraham and the son of Isaac. So the promise of blessing to the nations was first given to Abraham, passed to his son Isaac, and eventually, as we read, was passed down to Jacob. He was the younger of twin boys, and they were fraternal twins, not identical because they're physical their physicality is very different from each other. Esau was very hairy and Jacob was not. It was foretold before they were born that the younger, that the older would be, say this again, the younger would be the greater of the two. And I actually gave this a little more thought because uh, I've thought of the story quite a bit in my life, whether 
we often take this as a prophecy that this is the thing that was had to happen. But it, it, if you read it again, you'll see that what God tells the twins' mother, Rebecca, is that this is what was going to happen. And it does look as if Rebecca schemed along with Jacob to try to make this happen, that he would become the greater of the two. She might have taken it as, as, as a prophecy that she was going to make happen. We don't have a lot of comment on this, the right and wrong of this. It's just given to us as is. Then there's these two major episodes in, in Jacob's life with, rela- with relationship to his brother Esau. The first one is he buys Esau's birthright. Esau comes in after being out in the field, as he loved to do. Jacob loved staying home. Um, and uh, Esau was so hungry that he was willing to give up his place of the firstborn in exchange for a pot of lentils, for a bowl of lentil stew. And we look at that story very often going, you know, why would somebody do that? But as you know, and some of your children uh, listening to this and, and watching this, how many times you've come in or you come out of your room, you walk into the kitchen, you say, I'm starving. And, and maybe there's some people among us who've experienced what, it's mean, what it means to be starving, but most of us have never gotten anywhere near to that. And yet, like Esau, we look at our, our situation in the moment and we are consumed by it and we'll do anything. We'll, we'll basically sell our souls to get our physical needs, our emotional needs satisfied in the moment. And Jacob, who was yearning for what he believed Esau had, he wanted, he wanted that place of the firstborn. Did, did Jacob understand what it all meant? It's not clear, but he wanted, he wanted what Esau had and Esau could not care less. And that really set these two apart. Even though that Jacob was going about it wrongly, his heart was for the things that God valued and Esau couldn't care about those things. And this sort of thing happens again, this time with the, it was his mom's idea. Rebecca gets involved in this. Uh, he, she, she overhears her husband sending Esau out to, to, to hunt for some game and prepare for him, meet the way he loved it because he believed that he was going to be di- he was going to die soon. Actually, he didn't. It was many years, many, many years before he actually died. But there it is again. Oh, I'm going to die. This is it. My life is over. How many of you who are watching this right now think your life is over? You're not going to know until it is. And while it's not over, there is still things for us to do if we would listen to what God is saying to us. Well, Isaac thought his life was over. And Rebecca overhears this and uh, comes up with a scheme uh, to dress up uh, Jacob in goat skin uh, to trick and, and, and Esau's clothes to trick uh, her husband. And he does this and it, he succeeds and he gets this incredible, wonderful blessing for, from his father, Isaac. And it's a bit of a strange story. Why could Isaac not give in such another such good blessing to Esau after Esau comes in? Why could he not have canceled the, the, the blessing that he gave, to, uh, gave to, to Jacob? He doesn't. But what's really going on, what's really going on here, it's not really about Isaac. It's not as if 
Jacob really stole the magic blessing from his dad. God was after Jacob. And in a sense, Jacob was after God without really fully understanding what that meant. So as a result of this deception of, of stealing his brother's blessing, Esau vows to kill his brother Jacob. And so again, with the urging of his mom, Jacob takes off to her homeland. It sometimes called Paden Aram, also Haran, this region called Mesopotamia in modern southeastern Turkey. On his way, he has a dream and God makes a promise to him and basically gives to him the promise he gave to his father Isaac and to his grandfather Abraham and, and tells Jacob that he would watch over him, take care of him and bring him back to this, to the, this land where he was born. Well, very interestingly, when, when Jacob awakens from the dream and realizes that God had spoken to him, he makes a vow. And his vow is, if God is, keeps true to his word, watches over him and brings him back safely to the land of his birth, then God will be his God. And this tells us that up to this point, God was not Jacob's personal God Jacob had not committed himself to the God of his father and grandfather yet. He refers to, the, to this God as the God of his grandfather, the God of his, of his father, but not his own God. And I imagine a lot of people think that if God appeared to them like he did for Jacob, that that would be it. They'd be a committed believer for life. They'd be willing to give their lives to God. But that's not what happened with Jacob. That's what happened to the multitudes of people who saw Jesus' miracles. A lot of us think, oh, if I'd only see a miracle, if God would heal me of my whatever it is that I've been suffering from all these years, then that would be it. That would be the thing that would change my heart and life forever. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Jacob knew about this God. Jacob had heard from this God, but he still had not given his life to him. So then he goes off 20 years to the land of his mom and he raises a family there. And all sorts of things happen during that time, which we won't get into. And then it's time to go back. 20 years later, he returns back and he, a message comes to him that his brother Esau is on his way with 400 men. And Esau thinks he's waited all this time and this is it. He promised to kill me. He's going to kill me. And he becomes very, very afraid. And he comes up with another scheme. He tries to figure out a way to appease his brother's wrath. And he, and he sends his family over these, over these bodies of water and so on. And now he's all by himself in the night. And he's, and he's terrified. And he cries out to God for help. Well, then this mysterious man wrestles with him all night. And as we read, this mysterious man was actually God himself. And he wrestles, he wrestles with, with God through the night. And so this is in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32, as we read. And here um, we see as he holds on to God, not fully understanding what he's doing, this mysterious man, who's God, asks to be let go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Here is Jacob acting with such tenacity, just like he's done his entire life. He has his eyes set 
on what he knows is good, and he might go about it wrongly, but he's striving after what we now understand to be the treasure of heaven. And he wants it no matter what, even if it hurts. We read about how God touches Jacob's hip, just touches it and dislocates it. Not an easy thing to do unless you're God, in which just with a little boop, his hip is dislocated and he gives, and, and, and Jacob limps after, after all this. But even after, and in a wrestling match, if you were able to dislocate the, the hip of your opponent, that's it. The match is over. Jacob still holds on for dear life. Even though he must have been in such incredible pain, he's still holding on. And what does God say to him? As Jacob asks for his blessing, he changes his name to Israel. And he says to him, your name shall be no longer Jacob, but Israel, because you have striven with man and with God and have prevailed. That has to be one of the most overwhelmingly inconceivable statements in the entire Bible that God would say to a man, you have striven with man and with God and have prevailed. Now, you might look at that wrestling match and think Jacob didn't prevail, did he? Because he, 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 didn't, he didn't beat God, but he didn't let go either. And even when God himself said, let me go, Jacob wouldn't let go. I wonder how many of us think, no, no, this can't be right. This can't be right. A man of God, if God says, let me go, yes, sir, yes, Lord, absolutely, whatever you say. And yet, if you study the, the, the key characters of the Bible like we're doing, we see many of them are people of such great tenacity. Moses, God tells Moses something, and Moses says, no. God tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and Abraham pleads, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. God is looking for people who are actually willing to channel him, uh, challenge him. Oh, that can't be right. Oh, are we going to believe the Bible or not? God said, let go. Jacob didn't let go, and God blessed him for it. And we look at the people, look at David, look at the prophets, and look at what they wrestled with. Even Jesus, I, I know the father had his way in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus had the, 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 the gumption, the tenacity, knowing what the mission was to still plead with the Father, no, please, do it. let's do it some other way. We give up too easy. We give up too easy with life, and we give up too easy with God. God is looking for people who are like Jacob, people who are going to hold on to him even if it kills them. Because we know what God really desires for us is greater than the way things are. We take what is. We're so, so many of us, and I can't speak for, I'm not speaking to each individual here. But we give up too easy, and we give up too easy in the name of faith. We think faith is a passive thing. Is yes, sir, no, sir, anything you say, sir. You know, and then and then what we do is 
we apply that to our life circumstances. Well, this is just the way things are, and I'm going to quietly trust God. And actually, that's a case, sera, sera, attitude, which is whatever will be, will be. Whatever will be, would be God willing. We're supposed to say God willing, but God willing is we understand that God will always have the final word in anything that we do in life. And so we um, we do give ourselves over to God, God's will, like Jesus did in the, in the garden. But God is looking for people that are not going to take things the way they are. I, maybe I mentioned this already, that, uh, that a few weeks ago, some of us were part of a citywide, uh, it was actually a, a neighborhood-wide prayer meeting. And uh, we were praying for, for people's needs during this COVID time. And not one person prayed that COVID would end. Nobody prayed that there'd be a way to lift the restrictions. It was all about coping. And, and yet we need to learn to cope and we need to learn how to do that well. But where are the people crying out that God would break through? We have situations in our parliament right now that are going to do horrific damage to our nation and to our children. Where's the tenacity? Where are people who are not going to take this lying down? I know then what we end up doing, there's the human way that we go and we, we fight wars and we take up arms and do this sort of thing. We cause riots. Well, that's not the way. What is the way? Does anybody know? Has anybody taken the time even to ask God? But instead, we just kind of wait till the storm blows over. And that there is no, there is no um, example of that in God's word. Just people just kind of taking in and waiting. Often there's nothing we can do about it. But where's the crying out? Where's the grabbing hold of God until he comes through, until he blesses us? We need to hold on to God, even if it hurts. He's looking for people with tenacity, who's, who have people of guts. Am I allowed to say that in a sermon? Look at the people of God and look at them with all their failings. They were, pe they were people of courage or had to learn to be people of courage in order to, to do the things that God's calling us to do. And I share that sort of thing because I have such a hard time with it myself. Deep inside, I'm such a scaredy cat. All my life, been the, the, you know, been the littlest, the pig, kid picked on in the schoolyard and, you know, go home, running home to mommy, sucking my thumb, literally. And as an adult, having to battle the, the temptations to, to curl up into a little ball in the corner. And that's not what God wants for us, my brothers and sisters. We have to stop taking life lying down. And it doesn't matter how young or old we are, now is the day. God help us. And as a church community, what does God want us to do at this time? It's no longer the days of same old, same old, doing it like we all, always did is not going to cut it. We need to hear from God and we need to do what God is calling us to do, even if it hurts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have graciously given us these stories. God, we are living in an unprecedented time. We've got neighbors to the south of us that have been through so much with the, all the political upheaval. Now people are, are, are struggling finding food and water because of the terrible cold snap and storms. Our government is getting ready to throw the infirm and the elderly on the, and the, on the ash heap of life, deeming their lives worthless when you see them as valuable. 
we embrace as a culture, as a country, evil sexual practices and celebrate them. God, just help us to feel the, the grief that you feel over the waywardness of, of people in our day. Show us, Lord, as a church where we've allowed this to happen and deal with our own sins, deal with our own perversions, deal with our own uh, recklessness and waywardness and make us people who are honest about our struggles, about our wrongs. Lord, wherever there is need in our congregation to bring things into the light, may you do that soon, O Lord, and give people, all of us, myself, the courage to be real about who we are so that we can move forward with you changed like Jacob was changed. Please, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.